the reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 20, reading verses 1 to 12, and I invite your uh, reverent hearing of God's uh, word here in Acts chapter 20. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All of us uh, encounter uh, difficult times uh, in life, uh, certainly uh, that includes the church that is always uh, threatened from within and without. Uh, but God uh, always, always, always answers us in troubling times. And he always has provisions for troubling times. And it is a reminder from my text this morning that God is faithful in all times, but more intensely in difficult times. And these difficult times are seen in uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, as you know, we've been going through the book of Acts. It's quite clear that everywhere Paul goes, he's being followed uh, by the Jews who uh, really uh, seek to kill him, uh, parallel much uh, to the ministry of our Lord, who they were doing the same thing, and ultimately, of course, were, were successful. Uh, remind you of the, of the text uh, in, in Luke uh, 21, 17, uh, and you will be hated by all on account of my name. So don't be surprised when people hate you because uh, you believe in the church, its sacraments, its hymns, and of course, uh, the Word of God and the triune God. If they hated Jesus, now they're going to hate you. So we should, in that vein, expect difficult times. Uh, because of our faith. Uh, now, I, I do remind you, it's always in degree. 
Uh, if you were a Christian in Saudi Arabia, I suspect they might hate you a bit more than they would in America, but who knows what the future holds. Uh, it's always uh, somewhat in, in degree. Um, but to remind you here that the shadows are beginning to lengthen for the Apostle Paul, and they're certainly beginning to lengthen for the church. I mean, if you would look down as very quickly at verse uh, verse 29, chapter we're in, Acts 20, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So you think the church is going to experience difficult times? Well, Paul is saying, yeah, wolves are going to come in, uh, not sparing the flock. Well, that's about as dangerous as it can get. Um, uh, wolves and sheep uh, don't really um, mix too well together. Paul is just simply telling the church it's in for difficult times. Um, certainly, when you look at the history of the church, the early century, uh, there was the Caesar cult uh, in which they pledged allegiance to Caesar. Uh, Heil Caesar. Um, Christians had a very difficult time doing that, so they were taken to the Colosseum and many of them were killed. Um, you're reminded of the church father, Justin. He was killed, he, so he, he engages uh, the name Justin the Martyr. So we have a tendency of thinking because of our own sometimes closed-in view of history that the church uh, has always uh, sailed in calm, uh, calm waters, but that's not really the case. I uh, remind you of uh, those who perhaps of my generation, uh, not too far from removed from the Second World War, Christians in Germany had a very difficult time uh, because there was also a, uh, a Caesar cult. Of course, it was to Hitler. Uh, he, he ravaged the church. Uh, Christians gave him a difficult time. He just simply sent him to the Eastern Front, which was a death sentence. Um, so there's always degrees of trouble. I understand that. Um, we have a fairly good time in our country, but uh, who knows uh, what the future might hold. Uh, but our text is really acknowledging those troubles, but it's going to point us to the great provisions of God. Uh, we're in the third missionary journey. Paul returns to the church he has established in Ephesus. In verses 2 to 5, he will go to Macedonia. In Macedonia, there were uh, three churches, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Uh, he's going to go to Greece with Church of Corinth. Um, good reminder, is it not, that Paul is planting churches. Many provisions that come from God in life. The church uh, in this world is a preeminent one. I say that because... I know a number of Christians who simply resigned from the church for whatever reason. There's always a reason that sounds good, but the church is preeminent in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He could have been planting so many other things. He has one lane, one focus, and it's a chief provision of God, and Christ is head of the church. Uh, there's another plot against him, so he goes back to Macedonia, in verses 7 to 12, he comes to Troas. So he's returning to churches out of pastoral concern. 
in light of coming trouble, to remind them that uh, God is greater than their troubles. Our troubles are great. God is greater still. Always the case, they go together. Uh, We have a way, uh, certainly I have a way, perhaps you don't, of, oh, woe is me, I'm the only one that's ever going through this trial. Uh, It's a reminder that troubles come and God is always present. And though they may be great, God is greater still. Uh, Paul brings with uh, his ministry his own provision. Uh, If you look at uh, chapter 20, verse 1, um, you know, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, he departs and goes to Macedonia. If you look at verse 2, when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. Parallel terms, exhorting and exhortation. If you look at verse uh, 12, and he, uh, he took uh, away the boy alive and Uh, They were greatly comforted or exhorted. It's the same word. Uh, The the verbal form is is literally, and I understand we don't literally translate words, but it's really called alongside. Uh, It's our reminder that God has another provision, all of our troubles, and namely the Spirit, who is called along our side. He tenders us... uh, much like uh, logistical ships might come alongside combat ships, perhaps in some conflict. But it's a reminder, provision of God's in the church. It's, uh, it's also in the great provision of the Spirit. So we're not left alone in the midst of our troubles. Uh, it's one of the great benefits of the church where uh, there are believers to teach, to encourage, to pray, uh, certain times to provide material assistance and always, of course, uh, the presence of the Spirit of Christ. Uh, in this context, there's a number of men that are accompanying Paul uh, because they're bearing financial assistance for the church in Jerusalem. It's ultimately where Paul's going to go, and these men are carrying financial assistance. Important ministry of the church. As you know, Grace Bible Church, we uh, send uh, financial assistance to Uganda and the Congo uh, because of the uniqueness of the ministry there, notwithstanding uh, supporting uh, local ministries here in Oklahoma City. Uh, It's a good reminder that the Christian life is not a private affair. We think in those terms, uh, much because simply of our culture, but uh, you should be very careful if you come to see the church as a as a private affair. You can join or become attached, detached, or uh, wander self-directed uh, as if there is such a thing. Uh, in Paul's ministry, uh, there really aren't any loners because loners are being disobedient to God. Uh, we are connected to the body of Christ in which Christ is our head and the Spirit comes alongside uh, to minister to us, uh, oftentimes to the church itself, but notwithstanding that, uh, in the great ministry of, of uh, provisions of the Spirit. Uh, the reason that uh, the Christian life is not a private affair is because uh, loners are easy prey. 
we need to be reminded that savage wolves uh, really come from the great wolf himself and makes easy prey of loners. Um, I'm quite addicted, well, perhaps that's too strong a word, to the great animal programs and uh, always uh, the weak and the affirm who can't keep up with the herd. And guess what? The wolves are there. Or the lions and tigers or whatever, uh, they just become easy prey, particularly to pack animals and uh, wolves hunt in packs. That's why loners ought to be very, very careful and reconnect to the church. Um, the particular content of Paul's exhortations are not really provided. Uh, contextually, I think we can surmise what the exhortations are in their particular context. Uh, let's turn back to uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, because this is really a seminal text that really is much of Paul's ministries. He goes back through all the churches that he's planted. And I think it really encompasses much of uh, what he's saying to the church in Troas. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. The parallel is encouraging them to continue in the faith. So it's a message of perseverance, a theology of perseverance. Why should they persevere? Saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, the final ultimate end of the kingdom, namely uh, our physical presence and the physical presence of Jesus Christ and eternity. Now, we enter the kingdom in the new birth. Uh, we remain in that kingdom until we enter it in its final form. And one of the paths is tribulations. Um, I happen to believe the end-time tribulation. Uh, I think the context is uh, suggestive of that, and certainly the death of our Lord uh, is a remarkable parallel. Uh, but it's, it's a reminder that there's the provision of God. There's also our human responsibility, namely uh, to be responsible in persevering in the faith, continuing in the faith. So we can surmise that Paul's encouragements are repairing to the provisions of God in difficult times, specifically the end-time tribulation. Uh, we might wander here momentarily to think of uh, divine provision. Uh, think, for example, of the attributes of God, how comforting they are in difficult times. Uh, God is faithful, and uh, faithfulness and God go together. First uh, Corinthians 1.9, Paul says, God is faithful to whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. But notice the simple sentence, God is faithful. Uh, I know most of you fairly well, uh, I know that most of you are fighting unique battles. Uh, Paul is saying to you that God is faithful. Uh, one of my favorite texts is 1 Corinthians 10.13. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide, will provide the way of escape. So troubles come. I, I wish they didn't, but we're not in the final form of God's uh, beautiful, marvelous kingdom. Uh, temptations are going to come, and uh, what follows them is the faithfulness of God. They go together. Great troubles are always followed by the great provisions of our great God. Uh, another favorite of mine is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. The context is most instructive. It's uh, uh, duties of uh, Christians in verse 23, uh, as well as God's provision. Uh, Very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the great promise of God, faithful as he who calls you, he will bring it to pass. When you read that text, you say, well, how can I stand blameless before God? I mean, none of us are blameless. Uh, well, God will bring it to pass. He'll make us blameless. He begins that process in His Son, Jesus Christ. So, uh, God, is, uh, God is always uh, with us in provisions in our, in our troubles. Uh, I understand they can be great, intense, different times in life. Uh, uh, but God is uh, greater still. Uh, I don't know if you uh, remember our call to worship, but a very powerful phrase in Psalm 146, verse 6, because the psalmist says that uh, God keeps faith forever. There is never a momentary lapse in God's provision of faithfulness to you. Never. Unlike us, who lapse all of the time, uh, it is not so with God. Uh, the faithfulness of God, who is greater than all of our troubles. Uh, think uh, of another attribute, uh, one of the favorites of all Reformed churches, the sovereignty of God, or the exercise of His supremacy, uh, that he is king over all, over everything, uh, even our troubles. There is an ironic hint of this uh, in our own text. Uh, uh, in Acts chapter 20, and verse 3, uh, we read in there, he spent three months, and then a plot was formed. Uh, the noun is, is a compound form, it's always used in the book of Acts of persecution. But the root is used of God. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 28, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. God has eternal purposes. Uh, those who hate us have their plots, but God has his eternal purposes. Thank God. Now, what a comforting thing in times of trouble to know that we are not outside the purposes of our great God. Now, Ephesians 1.11, you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We've been predestined according to the purposes of God. 
as his sons, we will enter eternity. Nothing can prevent us, not even the troubles of this life, because God is greater still. Uh, perhaps another great text, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17, in the same way God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promises of the unchangeableness of his purposes, the immutability of God. You and I are constantly changing. God changes not. Perfection never changes. Just think of that as a comfort in times of trouble, that our God is not changing. Uh, you and I are fading seemingly into twilight of life. God never changes. And uh, he will see us to the end uh, into his eternal kingdom. So God has eternal purposes for us that cannot be thwarted, undone, and that includes tribulation. So we read Acts chapter 14, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. Man, that's tough. That's a tough reminder to the churches. Uh, but God's eternal purposes cannot be undone. Uh, no Christian has ever failed uh, to enter eternity in the presence of God. That is an incredible promise. Uh, or think, think of the great promise of God in Psalm 34. Uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So sometimes we camp in difficult times in life, in the seasons of life, and God is encamped about us. And then verse 19, Psalm 34, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Out of them all. Our troubles are great, but God is greater still. Now, our Lord illustrates this in his high priestly prayer. Uh, he is uh, praying to the Father before his crucifixion. He says, I was keeping them all. You have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished. How can that be? Not one of them perished. Uh, the promise of Psalm 46 begins with God, our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I love the corollary of Isaiah chapter 57 and verse uh, 13. He who takes refuge in me shall inherit the land. As you know, the Old Testament land promises are uh, pictures of eternity. Uh, so, we will enter the land because God is our refuge. Uh, if you don't have God as your refuge, you will not enter eternity uh, in terms of everlasting glory. Only those who have God as a refuge. It's a great, compelling reason, if you don't know the Savior, to uh, sue for peace because you will not win. Uh, as you know, my favorite of the provision of God is the great doxology of Jude 24 uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling uh, and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. 
how can we stand in the presence of God blameless when we're full of blame? Because God is our provision in difficult times and will make it so, make us blameless. Of course, there's the wonderful promise that uh, all of us, I suspect, are well acquainted with in Hebrews 13.5, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So, God is our ultimate provision in times of trouble. But the importance of our text this morning is that it illustrates in a profound way, a beautiful way, God's provision to His sons. It's an illustration of all the theology that I've been acknowledging in these great texts of Scripture. A picture, if you will. Um, sometimes you and I need, need pictures. Well, this text is a picture. In Troas, Paul is uh, teaching late into the night. A young boy cannot stay awake. Falls asleep and slips from third story window to his death. I can well imagine there was someone in that congregation that said, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Paul has been teaching us about tribulations and here is an omen, we've lost one of our sons. Well, you and I know there are no omens. God is sovereign. Omens is a pagan concept. But certainly someone elbowed uh, their neighbor and said, this is terrible. Uh, the troubles have already come into our midst and we've lost one of our sons. And that, of course, is a terrible tragedy. But fall, Paul... Uh, as you know from the text, falls upon and embraces him and he comes back to life. And the church continues with a meal, perhaps including the sacrament, a reminder of God's provision in Jesus Christ. Uh, and Paul, uh, in verse 11, continues to uh, converse with them. Uh, New American Standard says he talked with them a long while. Until daybreak. Man, that was a long sermon. I, I know some of you, bower socks, 40 minutes is a bit tough. I get it. <laughs> Paul goes on all through the night until daybreak. Now that's a long sermon. So this forbearance even, even in the church. Uh, but it's from this word that he talked with him that we have our English word for homily or homiletics which are both associated with Christian ministry. Uh, I'm not a big fan of homilies, but nonetheless uh, occur in many churches to encourage the saints. Homiletics, of course, is uh, that particular aspect of the faith in which we, uh, uh, we preach. Uh, as a reminder, again, of the divine provision of the church as a necessity in life. Uh, verse 12, and they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Uh, this text, uh, as I'm sure you know, is an echo or an allusion 
the two great Old Testament events in uh, the lives of two great Old Testament prophets. Uh, let's, let's repair to the first in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. Uh, there's a picture in Acts 12 of divine provision. A young boy falls to his death and Paul resurrects him. In uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, uh, there is perhaps one of the events that Luke is alluding to, uh, having written uh, Acts chapter 20. As you know, there's a famine in the land. Why, why is there a famine? Because uh, uh, Israel uh, was engaging in idolatry, and God said, if you engage in idolatry, uh, I'm going to bring drought upon the land. And so there's a drought. What happens in droughts? Well, people get hungry, uh, and yet God's going to provide for the prophet Elijah, because God cares for his sons. Um uh, if you look at 1 Kings 17, verse 6, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Well, eventually uh, the trouble intensifies because there's a drought. The brook dries up. So what's going to happen to Elijah? Do you think God's going to take care of him? Verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. I've, I've placed a widow there that's going to take care of you. So it goes outside the land, and God has a widow that's going to care for the prophet. Now, how's a widow going to care for the prophet? Again, I remind you that there's no social security in those days. Uh, a widow was... Uh, Somewhat destitute, particularly if there's a drought. Uh, and uh, Elijah goes there and knows the promise of God that the widow's going to provide for him. And so he asks the widow for a piece of bread. And, 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 and the widow says, uh, I only have one piece of bread, a handful of flour and a bowl and a little oil in a jar, and I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So she's destitute. So how's she going to provide for Elijah the prophet? Well, God is present in troubles in a great, in a great provision. Elijah said to her, do not, do not fear. Um, you make me the bread and bring it to me and after me you make one for your, your son and uh, verse 14 the Lord says the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth that's social security for the widow and, and verse 16 is just a radical provision of God to a widow and her son. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah.
So God was present through a widow, seemingly unable to help uh, the prophet, but God is present, provides. Because God always provides for his sons and daughters. Uh, But it really gets worse, doesn't it? Because, as you know the story, um, the son of the widow dies. And uh, she's going to complain. I understand. Uh, I encourage you to be very careful with your complaints. Uh, More often than not, God won't answer them. He answers them in the faithfulness of his word, his providence, his church, uh, but here he's he's going to answer. Uh, verses twenty one to twenty three. So uh, Elijah prays, calamity has come upon the widow. Uh, notice by causing her son to die, even Elijah knows God's providence and sovereignty over all things. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called upon the Lord and said, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. So the widow falls in great trouble. She's about to die. God provides for her through the prophet Elijah. Her son dies, and God provides for her through the prophet Elijah. She had great trouble in life, but God's provisions are greater still. Illustrating exactly what happened in Acts chapter 20. A picture of God's provision to you. It won't happen in the same way. I understand that. But it's a reminder that God provides, always provides for his sons. The son of the widow lives. It's an instruction for us that God provides for his sons. And we are his sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, The second uh, illustration for which I think Luke is uh, echoing is a parallel event in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. So again, we're using Scripture, if you will, to interpret Acts 20. God's uh, divine provisions in the history of His church. Uh, It's very interesting uh, prelude that's very parallel to uh, Elijah. Uh, We're now dealing with the prophet Elijah, Elisha, uh, and uh, one of the prophets in Israel, who was a faithful prophet in, in idolatrous times, uh, reminded to us that God always has faithful men in idolatrous times. Uh, but the prophet dies. And so the wife is now a widow. And... Uh, A creditor comes uh, because she uh, can't pay her bills and says, I'm going to take your two sons. I'm going to sell them into slavery. uh, Pay the bill. Man, they had lots of troubles in life, but that's one to be sure. 
Take your sons in slavery. Pay the bill. So Elisha, just like uh, the forerunner Elijah, says, well, God's going to provide. I want you to collect all the vessels in your house. And I know that's not going to be enough. So you go to all your neighbors and collect all the pots and pans, whatever it is they have, and you bring them into your house. Uh, And I'm going to fill them full of oil. And uh, then you can sell the oil and pay your creditor and live on the rest. And that's exactly what happens. There were two sons that were going to be sold into slavery. God takes care of his sons. And here's a picture. Uh, I know there's slavery all over the world. Even, even today, children sl- sold into slavery. Incredible evil. Those who know Jesus Christ, God will care for and protect and preserve. And they will enter his kingdom blameless. But the story, uh, Elisha goes on with his ministry and uh, he, he passes by the home of a Shunammite woman, her old husband. Uh, she is childless. She's very generous to Elisha. She says, look, you, you have a room here. You can stay in this room and I'm going to provide for you food whenever you're here. Uh, and Elisha does something that's incredibly bold. He promises her a son. She's taken aback because she is old and her husband is old. By the way, it's a reminder of Abraham, is it not? God raises up sons by his sovereign power. I know some of you pray for your sons or daughters because they're wondering. You you keep praying because God has the power. Ephesians, uh, pardon me, Romans 4.17. As it is written, the Father of many nations have I made you in the sight of Him who He believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. The awesome majesty of a sovereign God who simply speaks and there's provision. We know the story. This is parallel to Elijah. Here this woman has a son, and you know what happens, don't you? He dies. And this woman, she is profoundly upset. Not just because of her loss, but because she had this marvelous promise, and then it's taken away from her. You and I know the theology. God provides for His sons. read uh, verses 33, 36. Elisha comes into the house. The child is dead, laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind him both and prayed to the Lord. And went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and hands on his hand and stretched himself on him. And the flesh of the child became warm. 
Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him and the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. Incredible story. God's power gives life to the dead. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, take up your son. It is the remarkable provision of God that he cares for his sons. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to re resurrect um, a son in this life, but uh, the sons of uh, Christian homes, uh, every son who knows the Lord, uh, he will resurrect and call into eternal glory. Another reason the church is so profoundly important, uh, I understand that... Uh, uh, Christian families uh, sometimes uh, lose their infants. That's why a Christian home is so profoundly important. Because I believe God gathers them unto Himself. Uh, so, um, and we might wonder, can God care for sons, the sons of widows who are destitute? Uh, the Old Testament is a picture book of God's awesome majesty and power, ability to provide, uh, to, uh, to pray as the prophets uh, pray for God to raise up sons, and God does, uh, specializes in raising up sons and calling them unto himself. I understand sons and daughters wander. So we call upon the Lord, God to be gracious. It's a great reminder, though, for those of you who have young children to teach them in the faith. Uh, be faithful in a church where they're taught uh, the Reformed faith. Uh, in the church, God's preeminent provision on this world, uh, notwithstanding the Spirit has been called alongside. So the gospel and the resurrection, of course, is the ultimate provision for the worst of times. That's really the greatest provision in all of life, God's repetitive resurrections. Uh, he resurrects us, I remind you, from spiritual death. Apostle Paul, as you know, says in Ephesians 2, we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with Him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. It's its own resurrection. We were dead. God made us alive. Reminder of God's sovereign power. Only He can create life when there's spiritual death. So that our spiritual lives are inextricably bound up with the power of the resurrected Christ. A beautiful provision in this regard uh, in Revelation 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. The second death is spiritual death without end. Uh, the greatest judgment of all time is spiritual death throughout all of eternity. Never ever to know life, uh, only spiritual death. 
But over God's sons, it has no power. What a compelling, beautiful picture of the gospel. You want to escape second, the second death. It's only, only those who are in Christ. The divine provision also will resurrect us from physical death. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know we all shed tears over death. I certainly have. I know some of you are. But when you have the comfort, when your beloved knows the Lord, think of that promise. Be absent of the body, be present with the Lord. And that's just almost as good as it gets, but not, not quite yet because eternity hasn't begun in glorified bodies. But that is a great provision of God. For every one of God's faithful, when they vacate this physical body and it is poured into the ground, they're present with the Lord. Their spirit goes to be with the Lord. And when He comes again, as you know, the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, the resurrection which all of us long for. I love the words of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. So many troubles in life, even though ours are quite minimal, uh, compared to, say, a Christian in North Korea or Saudi Arabia or Venezuela. Uh, but God is always faithful to His sons. None will be lost. Uh, what haunting words to redouble, be faithful to him who is always faithful to us. So our troubles are great, but God is greater still. In the words of Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words. And so the church, its uh, teachings, its sacraments, its fellowship, its monetary gifts are great provisions. But the illustration here, is to be cherished, is to be kept in our hearts, but to glow brighter each and every day. It's the greatest of all uh, to be raised from the dead, to be present with the Lord. Remind you of the great prayer that uh, ends the book of the Revelation. John says to the promise of Christ, I'm coming. John says, even so, come quickly. Our great ultimate provision.